You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, your host. I've got Steve Fambro, uh, CEO of Aptera, on the show. Uh, Steve, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, I want to just, you know, a little background for the listeners as to what Aptera is. It's an electric car company that uh, has been going for a while, and I got uh, interested in it when I saw the the cars that you had developed and and that they could be charged directly from the sun and that they had the photovoltaic cells on the car and it kind of looks a little like a spaceship and then uh then i read further and saw that you are shooting to have batteries that have a charge that could last for a thousand miles for one charge which also is kind of a bit uh revolutionary so uh Tell us a little bit more about this revolutionary car that's that you've been developing at Aptera, and uh, when are we going to see it on the road? Sure. Just to uh, set the timeline, so Chris and I actually restarted the company in 2019. Uh, we had started Aptera originally back in 2006, and we raised some money, brought in a professional management team, and... Uh, it just didn't work out, so we left the company, and he went on to start a battery company, Flux Power, and, and took it public. And I got into farming because I love food, and that took me to the Middle East, uh, where I did some uh, work uh, for one of the, the big families there. And I uh, came back to the U.S. Uh, with my family in uh, 2017, and we restarted Aptera a couple of years later because we saw that the market had changed, that Electric vehicles weren't just a curiosity that everybody wanted them and they couldn't make them fast enough. Um, how we got the thousand mile idea was after we did some analysis on the sales of electric vehicles, we saw that among several factors, range was one of the big driving factors in sales volumes. And so we thought, why not maximize the range as much as possible? And we did some calculations and uh, determined that with some of the newer battery formats, um, uh, the, the larger 4,800 series uh, cells that we could pack in enough batteries, about a hundred kilowatt hours to go a thousand miles. So that's how that happened. So uh, where, uh, where are you at currently in, in development and uh, when can we expect to see the first kind of uh, cars out on the road for purchase? We've just finished a major design lockdown on basically every subsystem, but most importantly, the body and carbon. Um, and that's key because it's the largest, most expensive tooled surface of the vehicle. Lots of other things can be adjusted after the fact. You know, if, if a bracket doesn't fit, then we can make a new bracket or adapt it somehow. <clears throat> but getting the suspension, the closures, as they're called, doors, windows, uh, that kind of thing, uh, and the body in complete design lockdown has that's what we've been working on for the past year. We've just passed that milestone. So now we've got, I'd say six months ago, we purchased some very expensive uh, blocks of tooling steel from Germany. Um, they're massive. You know, they're, they're bigger than, than people. And the steel is going to be machined into tools in Italy at our supplier, CPC. So those blocks had to be purchased about six months ago because of how long it takes. They've just been delivered a couple of weeks ago. And very soon they're going to start machining those tools to begin making the body structure. And we expect the first test bodies to roll off the line uh, mid-year this year. 
and production vehicles ready to be sold by the end of the year. Wow, that's uh, that's moving fast <laughs> in comparison to the in the car world. It takes uh, years to kind of design and and create a new car. From my understanding, you know, it's um, tell us a little bit about the photovoltaic cells that are on the car and and how those work and and uh, how much electricity is likely to be generated from them so that this car can uh, go without plugging in to to operate yeah we use uh, maxion cells and when we first when we restarted the company in 2019 um, the state of batteries and solar cells had made massive improvements these cells didn't exist back in 2006 when we first started the company and so once we discovered these cells and once we figured out a way to bend them uh, in, in part of a structural panel, we, we calculated you know, what, how much energy we could get just from having the roof solar. And Chris and I were, you know, I had MATLAB on my computer and we were doing these calculations and simulations. And uh, we said, you know, we could get a couple of miles extra range a day if, if we have the solar roof. Isn't that great? And then the light went on or ahead, you know, our, our body surface is so smooth. Why not put how much, how much could we get if we cover the whole body in solar cells? And so that was the, the genesis behind that. And we determined that we could get a peak solar power of about uh, 700 watts and over a period of a day, about four kilowatt hours. And because our vehicle is so efficient, you know, we use 100 watt hours per mile compared to like the new Hummer. I think it uses seven or 800 watt hours per mile uh, because we're so efficient. Uh, four kilowatt hours translates easily into 40 miles. And so that's how we, we came up with that. And once, once we committed to that, the solar actually, solar actually became the largest part of our IP portfolio. It's, it's the most research intensive part of our business because nobody's doing what we're doing the way we're doing it. There are some other companies with, solar cells on the vehicles, but our panels are, I think, the lightest weight, probably the lowest cost, most robust. Um, they're very damage tolerant. You can put a bullet through it and it'll still produce power. It'll just be reduced by a little bit. Um, you can hurl ice cubes at it and softballs and it still keeps functioning. So developing that and then making it manufacturable at high scale and then making it you know, to automotive standards where it's going to last for 10, 15 years, vibration, salt, snow, freeze, thaw cycles. That's been a large part of our R&D effort. Well, that is a fascinating possibility to get 40 miles from just sitting in the sun. And obviously there are certain parts of the country and in the world where we get a lot of sun and uh, you could do almost all your driving without ever plugging the car in just having it sit in the driveway and, or, you know, on the road, picking up uh, energy. So that, uh, that could be revolutionary. I assume, you know, this is just the start in terms of you're at 40 miles now. I assume it's going to go up over time. Yes. The, the solar cells are going to get more efficient. We're also going to have different models with different amount of uh, surface area. And we're also, uh, working with some other companies to uh, commercialize sort of a, a fledgling solar uh, solar mobility business, leveraging our technology for other customers. 
and uh, looking to to monetize that. So it's it's not just our vehicle; it's other vehicles, it's other applications that our solar uh, can really help lower the impact of electric vehicles on the grid. Uh, you know, by by doing this, we're able to deploy lots of electric vehicles and electrify lots of things without necessarily having to worry about bringing the grid along to modern standards. Sure, we need a modern grid, of course, but um, not having it is not a reason uh, to uh, to wait on electrification. Uh, and that's that's really one of the benefits of Aptera. So in terms of financing a, a car company like this, I, I understand there's a tremendous amount of capital that's required to, to launch this. Where is the company at in terms of uh, its current capital and and what its needs are going forward. We, it. I mean, Elon Musk. I think said uh, he called his factories money furnaces or something like that. Uh, we're not at that stage yet. I, I don't think we we'll ever will be. We ever will be because um, our vehicle is fundamentally different than a car. A typical car uh, body or body in white, as it's called, has two hundred structural pieces that all have to be fixtured and welded together and held dimensionally uh, constant during that process. Our structure has six pieces. So fundamentally, we're, we're just clicking six pieces together as opposed to trying to hold 200 pieces together and keep them aligned. So our development time for the body is shorter. Our assembly line cost is less. Our tooling cost is less. Um, everything is different because of what we call the new steel, you know, the, the pressed carbon. Um, we're, we're not, you don't have any labor in this part. You're not having to put fiber in the thing. Um, you basically just put a block of carbon paste in the mold. It squeezes shut with 5,000 tons force, add some heat, and three minutes later, a structural part comes out ready to use. So fundamentally, our costs are different because they're, they're lower because we have fewer parts and fewer tools. Um, that said, to date, we've raised about $100 million, and that $100 million has let us develop the vehicle uh, from scratch with all the other attendant technologies, sort of the uh, the solar, as I mentioned, the solar electronics, the battery. Uh, we made an acquisition last year of a, a company that makes um, displays and the software uh, because they did a much better job than we could. And we've been able to to do all of that on less than $100 million. Uh, to get to production, we're out in a Series B raise right now for $150 million. And um, we've got folks in uh, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates in Europe and the United States that we're talking to that um, all want to be a part of this. Well, it's uh, an exciting future that you're talking about here. Uh, you're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Matter, your host, and I've got C- Steve Fambro. Uh, CEO of Aptera on the program, Aptera, new solar uh, electric car company. And we'll be right back with Steve to talk more about uh, the revolutionary technology that his company is uh, bringing to the market soon. You're listening to a Climate Change. Uh, this is Matt Mattern, and I've got Steve Fambro, CEO of Aptera, the uh, newest uh, of the electric car companies, and I think uh, an exciting one. Uh, Steve, you're telling about telling us about this Series B that you're looking to fund for 150 million dollars to get you to the next level. How much of that has been funded? If you can tell us, and and how much uh, more needs to be funded to kind of get you to the 
to the production phase or through the production phase? Yeah, we've, uh, I'm not sure what I could talk about publicly, uh, but we've got, um, I would say a significant investment from a strategic uh, supplier. And we also have the public uh, California CEC grant uh, for $20 million, $21 million that we applied for. It was a competition and we were one of several companies awarded uh, that kind of grant. So that's a matching grant, uh, essentially. So every every dollar that we spend, uh, they give us a dollar back. Um, so uh, it's uh, it's already a big chunk of the raise that's been helped you know, by these two investments. But um, I think if we can keep our fundraising on schedule, and uh, I don't see why we, we can't, uh, we should be able to get the vehicle into production, go through all of our validation, crash testing, everything uh, next year, and hopefully out to the market. That'd be great. Well, I, I think from a public policy point of view, I, I uh, certainly endorse the state of California and, and uh, other governmental bodies like the U.S. government uh, getting money out to uh, market-leading tech uh, or manufacturing-type companies to to uh, continue to have um, California and, and the United States lead the world in these technologies. And sometimes the market needs a little push and and it, uh, to take the types of risks that you're taking in in uh, starting a new company that's a little bit different than than what we've seen in the past and um so all the things that you're talking about just the manufacturing of the car could uh, lead to you know kind of be revolutionary for manufacturing in general as well as car companies uh, six parts instead of 2000 is is pretty incredible shift uh is any of that um through like uh 3d printing or is that is it totally different processes it's different process but i uh, i just want to hop back real quickly on on the government funding in in this case california uh, looking to keep manufacturing in the state of california so we're very uh, we're very proud and thankful to be able to compete and have won that uh, that uh, grant but you know as a as a free market capitalist myself you know you're Often our first reaction is, hey, we don't want government involvement at all. But when you look at the competition, when you look at China, you look at Germany, um, Korea, those those countries are heavily subsidizing those industries. So if we want to compete, we have to compete at that level. There's just no other way around it. Um, Tesla is a great example of, of a company that I think flourished from the original loan and then they paid it back ahead of schedule. And now how many... Billions of dollars of wealth has been created by them. How many jobs have been created? So I, I think that's a great example of how um, that kind of government assistance can work. Um, your question after that, give <laughs> me. Oh, well, in terms of revolutionizing the uh, oh. the manufacturing, I think you kind of answered it in saying you don't use the three D printing, but. Uh, you know, the other, maybe you could explain to, to us a bit more about this manufacturing process of pressing the carbon and, and, uh, is that really that new or just for the car industry or is it, uh, is it new in general? It's new for the car industry and this particular process is new in general. Um, let me just give you a, a brief background. So when, when Chris and I first met, you know, I was working on composites to build the first Septera. 
he was using composites to build his his wakeboard boat. He had a wakeboard boat company at the time, and uh, we were using a, a resin infused sandwich core composite structure. So there's there's layers of fiberglass and then foam like a, a PVC foam and then another fiberglass layer. And it's all infused with liquid resin. Well, we had since optimized that process uh, using very fast UV curing resins so that we could make a structural part in minutes. We could make uh, an entire body part and structural part in several minutes. Um, but there's two big drawbacks to that. It's great for lower volumes. I'd say between 100 and 1,000 per year. Um, beyond that, it just doesn't scale. And so this was a process that we were thinking of using when we first restarted the company because we did not believe we would get more than 1,000 pre-orders per year. So we got 1,000 pre-orders in the first day or two. Uh, and now we're almost 40,000. And so a year ago, uh, we had to, you know, we were scratching our heads to say, we've, we can't scale this process. Even as fast as it is with the UV cure resin and everything else, it just, it can't scale the way it needs to scale. And so well, we, uh, we dispatched our VP of engineering, Akosh uh, Fair, to find us a process that was scalable. And um, he went around the United States and Europe and brought us this company. And he called me on the phone. He said, um, he said, they won't let me take pictures, but you got to believe me. You have to come here and see this. You're, you're just not going to believe it. This is everything we wanted. So Chris and I uh, took a, you know, a flight the very next day, uh, got to Italy, saw it, and we were blown away. And the process is is uh, a it's a form of carbon SMC, a sheet molding compound. So it, it's carbon fiber and, and a, a resin matrix. It looks like black play-doh or paste. Um, and they they simply just put blocks of it in the mold, and the the tool squeezes shut, and a couple of minutes later, the structural part comes out. But what they do, CPC, our partner that no one else does, is they make these structural parts for cars. For Maserati, for Lamborghini, um, uh, Ferrari, and they design them for them, and they do all of the analysis for them, and so they have this whole ecosystem of of not, you know, they're not making SMC trash cans or SMC other stuff. They they have this entire ecosystem of of design, testing, simulation, validation, everything for these car- carbon composite structural parts that nobody else in the world has. And on top of that. They can then take those parts and build them into the vehicles. So they're actually contract building uh, these vehicles, just like how Valmet is, uh, I think, building for Lightyear. Uh, Magnus Steyr is, is building for Fisker. CPC builds vehicles for other companies. I can't mention them. Uh, that's company confidential, but they do the same thing. And they have the skills in-house to take it from end to end. So it was transformative for us. Because we have this carbon, this composite process that we love, we fell in love with, that we created, but it just couldn't scale because of labor uh, and all the paint and sanding and things like that. And um, with this new process with CPC, we're able to just produce as many as we could as if it were a steel part. We call it the new steel because it's better than steel. You know, it's lighter, it's stronger, uh, it's, it's recyclable. It's recyclable, I think, up to five times. Um, as a structural part. So it's unlike any other composite that people are familiar with. Wow, that does sound revolutionary. In terms of uh, how it's made, is it, uh, you're talking about it being 
made out of carbon? Is it uh, taking carbon, um, you know, atmospheric carbon or how, what carbon is it using? Is it kind of uh, sustainable, uh, more sustainable than, say, steel? Well, um, to date, most carbon fiber uh, is actually the precursor compounds pan uh, come from oil. So the way we think about it is this is just like you know, plastics and Tupperware and things like this. This is another use for oil that's not burning oil. So by using oil for this, we're taking it out of the market and using it for something that is other than burning. Um, and so uh, that's that's how we look at it from from that perspective. Uh, you'd, you'd have to do an analysis of you know what it takes to mine the ore uh, to begin making the whole steel, uh, like the whole steel process and compare it. Um, we've done some of that. And I still think that this carbon is, is uh, very competitive in terms of overall carbon footprint compared to the end-to-end steel uh, footprint. But I don't have anything that we can share with the public right now. You know, we, before we put numbers out, we like to be very, very sure and careful that numbers are correct. But uh, most carbon fiber does start its life as oil. Uh, in the future, could that change? Could that be extracted from uh, the atmosphere? Who knows? Uh, that's that's great possibility. I would love that. Uh, but at the moment, we're starting from oil. Okay. Well, I guess uh, you know you're you're working with a company CPC that's uh, working with Lamborghini and Ferrari. Uh, those are good uh, solid car company names. Uh, and uh, and your car has a a very sleek look. It's kind of spaceship X. How, how did you ask? Uh, how did you come up with that design, and and why the kind of pod shaped look of of your vehicle? When I wanted to build an electric vehicle uh, back in California, uh, I did some initial calculations. And I talked to people that had converted some electric cars, which was a thing to do, you know, 15 years ago because you couldn't buy one. And I discovered that most of them don't go very far. They went 30, 40 miles on a charge. And when I started doing the analysis of where the energy goes, uh, I saw right away, well, half over half the energy goes to just to push the air out of the way. Just the, the shape of the vehicle, you know, pushing the air is what uses most of the energy at highway speeds. So I just, I asked, this, I had this thought exercise where I said, well, how do we, like in, in engineering, you'll make a variable go to zero or infinity. Um, and so I said, how do we make the drag go to zero? What does that shape look like? And that started me on a path of discovery, which resulted in, in this camera body. Well, uh, it's a beautiful looking car. Uh, we'll, we're talking to Steve Fambro, CEO of Aptero. We'll be right back at, after this break. You're listening to A Climate Change, and uh, I've got Steve Fambro, uh, CEO of Aptera, exciting new car company. And Steve, you talked about the 40,000 pre-orders that you have for the vehicle. I, I have to disclose that I am one of those pre-orders. So uh, They told me. <laughs> yeah, I, I really liked uh, both the design of the car, and I, I love the fact that it can charge, uh, can kind of go off-grid as well as uh, the thousand mile uh, charge, all those things are amazing. And, and it's uh, kind of challenging the status quo uh, in so many different levels. It's, it's a fantastic kind of 
uh, revolutionary vehicle. Tell us a little bit about more about the design and uh, how you came up with it. Uh, you know, you were telling us a bit before the break, and and I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, so when when uh when the light went on in my head, I mean, I was an electrical engineer at the time. Uh, I worked for a biotech company here in San Diego, Illumina, and uh, when the light went on, that if we can make the drag somehow go to zero or, or, or lower it by an order of magnitude, then we could have, you know, we could increase the range by a factor of 10 of an, of an electric vehicle on the highway. <clears throat> and so that, you know, I'm, I'm also a pilot uh, and I was looking at different kit airplanes to build. So I'm, you know, I'm somewhat aware of aerodynamics. So I, I bought all the books that I could buy on aerodynamics and aerodynamics for vehicles, ground vehicles. And I started looking um, at the books for solar, the solar racers, you know, the, the ones that are the eco marathon, the shell eco marathon, where they, they go like a thousand miles, 2000 miles on a gallon of gas, these little aerodynamic coffin looking things where people lay down in them and they go around a track. So I started looking in that direction and I realized that uh, the vehicle aerodynamics for something in the air and what they call the free stream is very different than than when you approach the ground, that's in, in ground effect. Uh, the air behaves differently, and the vehicle has to be designed differently to take advantage of that. And that that's really the genesis of, of how we got started. We we started with um, a, a cambered body, which uh, originally was developed uh, by Dr. Morelli in Italy. And we took that cambered body and started working with our designers and said, how do we make this into a road vehicle? How do we fit two people side by side in it? How do we change it to make it more stylish but not increase the drag? So we started using computational fluid dynamics, and we needed to validate the design. We needed a stamp, something that when we were talking to investors, that they would believe us. And so we hired NASA Langley to simulate our vehicle in their low-speed wind tunnel and their uh, CFD processing center. Back then, CFD was a really big deal, required lots and lots of computers. Now it can be done on a desktop or Amazon servers. Um, it was the first check we wrote in starting a company. It was like $15,000 to NASA to do this study back in 2006. And uh, they they said there's some problems and they wanted to get us on a call. And so uh, Chris and I were on a conference call with like 10 NASA engineers. And they said, what wizardry are you guys using? How is this possible? We there's no way the drag of this vehicle can really be 0 .0, uh, 0.0, 0.12 or whatever it was at the time. And we said, well, you're NASA, you're the experts, you tell us, you know, that's why we hired you. <laughs> and it was, it was one of those aha moments where we said, you know, and these guys are very smart. I, I don't, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, they're NASA, right? They, they can put people on the moon. Um, but we realized it as a company this was something we couldn't outsource. We had to own it. We had to have aerodynamicists in-house. We had to build a cluster, you know, Linux servers to run the CFD software because we had to, because NASA was so perplexed, we said, we have, we just have to know everything about this. We have to own this segment. We did the same thing with solar, you know, basically creating this entire department for solar and electronics and everything else. Um, but that, that efficiency the lightweight, the composites, and also the low drag. It means that our vehicle uses 
you know, a third, maybe a fourth of the power for distance of a, of a typical electric vehicle. And that's better for everybody because that's fewer batteries, that's less cost, uh, it's fewer mining uh, resources that have to be used. It means it's more affordable. So this, this relentless, you know, almost like dogmatic pursuit of efficiency within our company really enables the vehicle to go a long way with very little batteries, with a fraction of batteries that any competitive product has. Well, I think that's a, a real uh, revolutionary kind of concept, which is to uh, have vehicles that are, you know, more commuter vehicles. I mean, this is a commuter vehicle. It's not hauling a lot of stuff, but I mean, probably what, 90% or 95% of our trips as drivers are spent in solo trips or maybe with two people. We're not hauling a lot of bags or, or anything like that. Um, that's why uh, this technology is, is so useful for us. Uh, we're wasting a lot of energy by driving big cars that are not aerodynamic, correct? Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the EV truck wars, I don't think, is where the environment needs to go. We don't need mining batteries has a cost. You know, there's an environmental cost with everything that humans do. So we have to be mindful of it. And and steering the technology to use fewer and fewer resources is really how engineering has been done, uh, electrical engineering especially. Uh, transistors get more efficient. They get smaller. Uh, that's just that's the natural progress of things. So to see, you know, nine, 10,000 pound vehicles full of batteries just so they look like a regular truck or SUV that people are used to, um, I don't think this is the way. I don't think this is sustainable. It's going to require extraordinary amounts of power to be brought to different charging locations. It's going to take a long time to charge. It's going to use a lot of batteries. It's just, it's, it feels like the wrong direction to us. And so that's why we're going in the opposite direction or a direction that uses fewer resources. It uses them wisely. It stretches them out over a really long distance and gives a customer, I think, a, a really good value. So in terms of, the CPC, the company that is making these new carbon fiber parts for you, uh, what, where do you see this going? I mean, is this new process that they have, is that something that any other company uh, on the planet can do, or is it kind of a patented technology? And, and where do you kind of see this going, uh, you know, in the future? And, and why, why did they pick uh, you to work with when their normal customers are, Lamborghini and Ferrari. Um, CPC has been growing their business. It's it's one of these quiet companies that people haven't heard about. And uh, every, I joke every time we go back there, there's a new building, there's a new camp, you know, something is new and bigger and better about them. They just completed a 12-story a uh, tower, which is now the new office. Um, they do supercars well. And it's it's made them a lot of money, and uh, it's it's a great it's a great segment that has uh, grown them to where they are. But they are looking at companies like Aptera or Tesla and seeing this growth in electric vehicles, and they're saying, "Wait a minute, you know, electric vehicles really have to be mindful of weight um, because they're they're all trying to lightweight. You know, they're making structures out of aluminum. They're starting to use composites." 
And they're saying, we've been doing that all along. So we want to go after this new industry. And our technology, I'm using CPC's voice, you know, CPC's technology, um, lets them, gives them the ability to scale at really high volumes, unlike composites has been able to do so in the past. And so the relationship between Aptera and CPC lets them really demonstrate that at scale. You know, they can talk about it all day long, but if they can, if they can produce uh, a, an affordable electric vehicle that's extremely lightweight, that is um, indicative of the process or representative of the process that they would use to do other vehicles for other companies, that's what they're also trying to achieve. You know, they're, they're going to make uh, have a lot of business with Aptera, and they're going to make a lot of money uh, with Aptera. But they're also looking, you know, beyond who are the other companies that they can continue to grow their business with even higher volumes. Um, you know, Aptera, even at forty thousand units a year, is still low volume compared to Detroit standards. There's lots of vendors in Detroit um, that wouldn't even take meetings with us because our volumes are just too low. You know, they they don't do anything below a hundred thousand a year. So that's another reason why we ended up going to Italy is there is this ecosystem of suppliers uh, whose volumes are right around our sweet spot. You know, their sweet spot is right around our volumes, I should say. Um, but CPC is instrumental in that because there's nobody else in the world that can do high volume automotive composites the way they do. These parts have fasteners that are built in them. They come out ready to be uh, covered with a vinyl wrap. They don't have to be treated or, or sanded or polished or anything. They are really, um, I would say, their their tribal knowledge uh, and their trade secrets and whatever other IP they have, let them make these automotive parts in a way that nobody else in the world, from my knowledge and my research, can do. That's well, pretty fascinating. Certainly the Italians are, are masters at design and and have built some of the best cars in the history of uh, car making. So uh, great partners to have on any project. Uh, you're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, and I've got Steve Fambro, CEO of Aptera, on the program. And we'll be back in just one minute. You're listening to A Climate Change, and I've got Steve Fambro, uh, CEO of Aptera. Steve, uh, you know, exciting times for you and the company. Uh, how many people are currently working for the company and, and how many people are you going to need uh, as the company goes into production of the vehicles? Here in the U.S., we have about 100 folks uh, under our roof between our two, our solar facility just a couple miles down the road and here at the headquarters. Um, overseas, uh, mostly in Italy, uh, we have probably another 20 to 30 people. Uh, maybe 50 or so through various vendors that we're working with. So suspension, lighting, aluminum castings, that kind of thing. Uh, to get the vehicle in production, uh, the team in Italy will grow by about 30 folks. Um, and our team here will grow a little bit less than that for the final assembly because we're going to be doing the body assembly in Italy first and shipping the bodies over here. Uh, probably with the suspension and wheels on it, where we'll put on the glass, we'll put on the solar panels and that kind of thing. That final balance of what we're going to do in Italy versus what we're doing in California hasn't been decided yet. But our original plan had us only hiring about 40 people for the factory here. It's going to be a little bit less than that. Um, 
at a, a 12 minute tack time and, and 40 vehicles a day. Uh, it's just, there's not a lot of people that are needed. Um, most of the engineering, engineering will increase uh, for validation, testing, et cetera. Uh, some of that will be outsourced uh, through our, our partners that do that kind of work, Roush, et cetera. Uh, but some of those engineers will be full-time in-house. So you're probably going to see that climb up to about uh, 300. Uh, that, and if you tell, if you tell that to anyone in the automotive or startup electric vehicle industry, they'll, they'll say, they'll laugh. They'll say, there's no way you can do it without, you know, that's so, so small. But again, we're not building a traditional car. We're building a much simpler vehicle. It has fewer parts. Uh, a lot of our partners are, are validating, uh, these various systems for us. Uh, so there's, there's much less work that we have to do than a, a typical company who says, uh, I don't want to, there's other EV companies who um, maybe they've hired up thousands, tens of thousands of people to do all of these tasks in-house. We just don't have to do that. We have competent partners that can do that, some of that stuff better than we can, and we leverage that. So in terms of uh, vehicle production, you had said 40 vehicles per day. I'm just doing the math. That's about, what, 1,200 vehicles a month, 14,000 vehicles a year. Is that your target? Uh, where do you see this going in the future? It's 40 vehicles a day per shift for this building. Um, the the decision, and, and what that gives us is it gives us a starting framework that we can demonstrate here and then either copy or scale. You know, it, it remains to be seen based on all the different economic variables of energy, labor, everything else. If the optimum assembly for this vehicle is two or three facilities around the United States or one big facility somewhere uh, central or on the East Coast, um, that calculus isn't clear to me yet which one of those are better. I know the way the industry goes. The industry goes for a single facility, and they do that because it's highly capitalized, and they can't afford to distribute, to, to copy that capitalization everywhere. But our, our vehicle doesn't have that. It's, it's assembled very differently. Um, I, I, I think about it when the parts come in from the suppliers, it, it's almost like taking flat packs of Ikea furniture and just deciding where you're going to put it together. Um, you probably want to put it together really close to where you're going to use it, you know, like in your living room or in your kitchen or wherever. Um, you don't want to put it together some distance away and ship that product to there. Um, so that's, that is our strategy is to have the subassemblies kitted and packaged from the vendors so that we can literally bolt this thing together anywhere in the world. And there's all kinds of advantages and reasons why you'd want to do that. Um, not the least of which are, are tax uh, tax advantages, depending upon the country that you're either building in or importing into, et cetera. Wow, that is that is fascinating because that is truly revolutionary to put together kind of uh, a car like a piece of IKEA furniture. Uh, I realize you're simplifying it quite a bit, but still, <laughs> it's uh, to say stand up a manufacturing facility of a vehicle is usually a multi billion dollar. Uh, equation and uh to do it for far far less than that um is revolutionary it's expending a hell of a lot less in resources and if we're talking about sustainability that that goes a long way uh as we were kind of discussing one of the things kind of off air was 
using less of this uh, carbon fiber than you would of steel because it is stronger so at a magnitude of two, three, four times stronger. So you using less material as well in in making uh, in making the vehicle. That's right, and I think that's uh, most engineers, uh, most companies that make products to engineer a product. You know, they they really only want to use the amount of material or the amount of stuff that's necessary. They don't want to overdo it. Um, nobody does. But uh, in our case, we we could have made our original Alpha vehicles that you've seen driving around. You know, those are all those are 100% structural composites. So there's there's no uh, steel or metal coming from front to back in the vehicle. It's just the entire composite structure carries loads. And there's there's pluses and minuses of that. There's reasons, you know, why you'd want to do that or you wouldn't. In in our case, what we found is although we could make a lighter, technically lighter part of our sandwich core process, I mentioned to you earlier, it wouldn't scale. That's a big reason. The second thing is that you can't accurately model it um, in in a finite element analysis. You can kind of model it, but because it's uh, the material is discontinuous, use engineering term, you've got sort of hard interfaces of, of fiber and resin, and then a core, and and those are all discontinuous. It's it's very those and those are all what they call edge effects in finite element analysis, and it's very difficult to model that. So what it means is you have to do a lot of destructive testing to characterize a part, and companies do that all the time. But the advantage of going with CPC is that their material is homogeneous, and so it's well characterized. It's isotropic. It has the same reactive nature with force in any direction as opposed to a composite panel, which is you know stronger in one direction versus the other. So we give up some of that weight benefit to have something that can be modeled easily. And that lets us really fine tune and reduce the amount of materials that's needed. And then we can start playing little games where you say, well, what if we, what if we make the battery pack structural? And instead of having that structure in the carbon, uh, then we can make the carbon tub thinner and make it cost less because that was the most expensive part of the materials. So we've really, we've used aluminum. We have castings that, sort of connect the vehicle and the structural battery pack together. And we've been able to do that to lower the amount of carbon that we make the vehicle out of to lower the overall cost. We could make more, we could make it out of more carbon and get rid of the aluminum, but it'd be a little bit higher cost. And we don't want to do that. So we we're trying to have the optimum of, of performance, weight, and also cost. And this material and CPC in their process lets us do that in a way that we could not do it with sandwich core composites. Well, tell uh, us compared the- to Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Steve, but uh, tell us about the, say, the three main objectives of the company over the next uh, three to 12 months as to the challenges you face to kind of get the uh, vehicles out the door and into the hands of uh, the public. The three big milestones, I would say, are uh, wrap up our Series B fundraising, um, begin kicking off some of the high expense tools, both for the body and the motor. Um, we've got to get in the order queue for uh, some of the battery welding robots. Uh, so we close around of funding. We can make all those orders um, and then start getting body panels off the tools 
about mid-year to July, maybe. And then once we're, once we're getting body panels um, off of the tools, we will have already had our castings and all that other stuff done. We can start testing the vehicle um, you know, sort of privately, not in the public, but you're doing the brake, uh, brake validation, crash testing, that kind of thing, because we'll have a, a manufacturing representative product structure body that's made off of production tools, made with production processes. Um, and that's what we can characterize and validate. So I would say wrap up the Series B, place the big uh, purchase orders uh, that, that we're waiting to do, uh, and then start getting body panels off the tooling about mid-year, July, sometime that time frame, so that we can start doing some of the final validation. So how, how much are these high expense tools that you're, you're buying? Oh, uh, not as much as a regular car company, uh, but you know, a, a battery, let's say, um, uh, a, an ultrasonic welder, uh, for the battery, uh, cells is about $250,000 a piece. And the best companies in the world that make them are German. And so, uh, and everybody wants them. And so there's, there's a queue. Uh, and we need, uh, you know, we need several of those. Uh, I say several, I mean, a little bit uh, cheeky, more, you know, probably 10. Um, but, you know, that gives us the ability to make 40 packs a day uh, per shift. Um, all of these tools also can run multiple shifts. So the, the 40 a day really comes from one shift. So the the easiest way for us to scale is simply to start a second shift. Because the tooling is, that's why car companies have two and three shifts, just so they get maximum return on that capital equipment. Right. So by going into a second shift, we'll, we'll double the output. Right. So you could maybe take the 30,000 and then maybe 45,000 cars a, per year, which would be great. Well, Steve, uh, great talking with you. Uh, Steve, uh, running the car company, Aptera. Steve Ambro, uh, thanks for being on the show. It's uh, it's been a pleasure, and look forward to having you back uh, sometime later this year to hear good news about uh, where the company's gone. I look forward to it too. Okay, well, you've been listening to a climate change. Uh, please tune in next week.